of stress can be harmful, it can also be beneficial. It depends on what's your mindset about it and how well are you recovering from it. You can be in a sauna, your body is experiencing stress, but you are enjoying it. It doesn't lead to this sort of a chronic stress response versus if you are, let's say, in the desert, the temperatures may not be even that high, but you can still, you know, freak out. There is like some reason to think that a like high dose antioxidants could be maladaptive, so to say. If you experience the stress in the right amounts, then it can actually strengthen the body and make it stronger for future similar stressors. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Friends, this episode is such a deep dive into all of the things I'm obsessed with. I really feel like Seam is the male Estonian version of myself. (laughs) Reading his book and talking to him, I feel like I'm talking to myself. But I think you guys will really, really enjoy this episode. Little update of the whole biohacking world. I'm actually currently testing CGMs, continuous glucose monitors. I've been getting a lot of questions about that from you guys. So hold off. Don't get one yet because like I just said, I'm trying two different brands. So I'll be able to give you my thoughts and get you guys a discount or special offer. So definitely stay tuned for that. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash stronger by stress. Those show notes will have a complete transcript, which will definitely, definitely come in handy with today's episode. We do dive deep into a lot of things that you might want to revisit a second time in the written form for clarification. So that will be there. There will also be an episode giveaway for this episode. For that, just join my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. You can also follow me on Instagram. I did just post a picture of me this is a big deal. I got re-motivated to start posting pictures again because I got my hair done and it's really funny what getting your hair done can do. Um, so definitely follow me there. I actually did post a picture of the continuous glucose monitor that I'm currently testing. Also, we talk a lot about sauna in this episode and I talk about how I personally use an infrared sauna every single night of my life. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment. And they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. The price is like half of what I paid. And they've been doing that ever since the quarantine situation. So definitely jump on that. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon. Or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off. And that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. 
We'll also put that in the show notes. So again, the show notes for today's episode are at melanieavalon.com slash stronger by stress. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Seamland. Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so, so excited about the conversation I'm about to have. I am here with a repeat guest. That's how you know they're good ones when they come back on the show. And it's somebody my audience is probably very, very familiar with. He's honestly pretty much a legend in the biohacking world. I am here with Seamland. He is an author, speaker, and a content creator. He's from Estonia, which is like very, very cool. I guess the only person I think I know in Estonia. Um, But I had Seam on the show before for his original book, Metabolic Autophagy. I will put links to that in the show notes, but that was a deep, deep dive into intermittent fasting, into, well, obviously autophagy. It's a very, very popular episode. So definitely check it out if you missed it. But he has a newer book out and it's called Stronger by Stress, Adapt to Beneficial Stressors to Improve Your Health and Strengthen the Body. And Seem, first of all, just you did an incredible job. It's such a thorough, I mean, it basically touches on every single topic I'm obsessed with in my personal life and is such a thorough analysis and overview. The science is there. The notes I have on it for our conversation right now, I have like 20 pages of notes. I know I only have about an hour or so. I feel like we can just go with what resonates. Not sure what direction the conversation will go, but there's just so many things in there. So I'm so excited to dive in deep. But yeah, so thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I'm also glad to talk with you. So to start things off, like I said, my audience is probably very, very familiar with you. But for those who are not, would you like to tell them just briefly about yourself and why you got so interested in health, longevity, biohacking, all the things, and ultimately what led you to write your newer book, Stronger by Stress? Yeah, well, like I said, I'm uh, from Estonia and uh, I've been you know, writing content and creating content about biohacking and health for uh, maybe like four or five years. And I started doing it in college. So I don't have like any health problems. I got into it because of just uh, wanting to improve my performance and to get stronger and faster and that sort of thing. But I also kind of realized that it has, it also has like a huge impact on like, like longevity and uh, health span. So uh, that's why I got interested in that uh, topic as well, which may- led me to kind of implementing many different strategies like intermittent fasting and exercise and saunas and other things that was kind of the foundation to the content that I create online. And I also just wanted to kind of, uh, why I wrote, for instance, Metabolic Atavaji was to kind of refute some of the misconceptions about intermittent fasting and Atavaji. Uh, but with the Stronger by Stress book, I wrote it because of these are kind of uncertain events that have happened in this year, 2020, just wanting to kind of give people some sort of a blueprint or a guide a guidebook about how they can actually use these stressors and these harmful stimuli to actually become stronger and uh, healthier. Yeah, that was one of the most incredible things about the book because, well, 2020, here we are. And even before 2020, I think so many people... They get stressed about stress and there's this pervasive idea from a very good foundation, but there's this idea that all stress is bad, that we are chronically stressed out today, that stress is killing us, that we just need to stop all stress. And 
you really shift the paradigm and you dive deep into the stress response in Stronger by Stress. I will say, I think it's like the most thorough overview nuanced of stress that I have read. So yeah, can we like dive a little bit into that? So the stress response, because I think people often think all stress is bad. All chronic stress is bad. They might have like a vague idea that physical stress, like exercise is good, but I think it kind of like caps out there. So what is the stress response and is it always good? Is it always bad? What's going on there? By definition, stress is just a disruption in your body's homeostasis or like inner balance. We have these different uh, processes uh, working in homeostasis uh, all the time and something can uh, like disrupt this uh, balance, whether it be like some sort of a deadline, we get angry at someone, we exercise, we fast, we uh, restrict calories or like we ex- experience uh, heat or the cold or something, whatever it may be, like all those things, they're going to disrupt the homeostasis. And that in turn just forces the body to adapt to a certain extent. It's going to have to either like expend more energy or uh, compensate for it by other means. Usually the stress response is accompanied by many different like uh, hormones and uh, signature molecules to depend upon lo- like what kind of a stress response it is and what's the current state of the body. So for example, if you are exposed to the heat, then uh, your body releases heat shock proteins, which then start to mediate or alleviate some of the damage that you experience from the heat. And vice versa, like cold shock proteins that get activated when you're exposed to the cold. Yeah, like if you experience DNA damage, for example, there are like specific DNA damage proteins and other processes that repair it. So there are like different various kinds of stressors. They can, of course, be harmful in excess. So chronic stress is indeed associated with many diseases, especially like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, insulin resistance, obesity in general, and yeah, just a poor uh, health. But at the same time, if you engage if you experience the stress in the right amounts at the right time and you allow yourself to like recover from it then it can actually kind of strengthen the body and uh, make it stronger for future similar stressors so so that's the concept of hormesis that what doesn't kill me makes me stronger so like exercise is a a prime example of it Uh, fasting is it heat and saunas are also the same so you can't really avoid all stress like stress is somewhat inevitable we can only kind of prepare ourselves to take it or tolerate it better and uh, we can learn how to adapt and be more like like flexible because it's kind of like somewhat unavoidable i'm already on tangents i'm like melanie stay on this current topic but really quickly heat shock proteins versus cold shock proteins in the book you talk about like sauna with heat shock proteins and then like cold therapy on the other hand with the cold which by the way i just had wim hoff on the show and that was (laughs) the most motivating thing ever he is so inspiring he is basically all does the cold therapy stuff. Do you think though that with heat shock proteins versus cold shock proteins that heat shock proteins are potentially more inflammatory than cold shock proteins? I I just think about this a lot. The heat shock proteins themselves are anti-inflammatory, but probably, you know, the heat could be more inflammatory if you overdo it. So the you can like experience more inflammation from the sauna if you don't have a sufficient amount of heat shock protein response turned on, so to say. So if you're like some dysfunctional mitochondria or you have don't, don't aren't adapted to the heat, then it can become inflammatory and cause more oxidative stress in the body because of the body isn't capable of handling it. And also one 
critical thing that actually happens during heat is the heat track proteins also support some aspects of autophagy, which is, you know, cellular turnover and the recycling of various uh, cellular cellular uh, particles, including the reactive oxygen species that get exposed, that get created from the heat. If you don't have, let's say, autophagy elevated when you are experiencing the heat shock, the damage from the heat shock is also greater versus if you are experiencing the heat shock with slightly increased level of autophagy, then the damage you get from the heat is also lower. So I think having the autophagy slightly elevated when you are going to the sauna is uh, like a a good thing and it's a kind of protect against some of the potential damage that may occur it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to like fast but it probably means that you don't want to be like eating a bunch of sugar and carbs before uh, going to the sauna and probably like wait at least a few hours before going to the sauna after you eat okay gotcha yeah maybe that's a good reframe for me like i, I was thinking in terms of heat shock proteins being inflammatory but rather than the heat shock i often weigh the difference between like cold therapy versus heat therapy. Cause like I have an infrared sauna that I do every night. And then I also will do cold showers every morning. And I just feel like, you know, I'll see things in the literature about the inflammation potential of heat exposure, but I don't usually see that about cold. So I'm like, maybe I should just do the cold, but the sauna is like one of my favorite things. And I like love all the benefits. And do you do an infrared sauna? We talk about this in the book, the difference between infrared versus traditional. What does that look like in your daily routine or nightly routine? I use both. Like uh, the benefits of the traditional sauna and infrared sauna are somewhat similar. So like both can improve your blood circulation and cardiovascular health. Both can activate autophagy and both can like reduce inflammation and soreness. But uh, the kind of a unique aspect of infrared saunas is that they also have the uh, red light wavelengths that uh, tend to penetrate deeper into your tissues and they will help to promote like mitochondrial density and also collagen synthesis. So you're not going to get that from the traditional sauna because they don't have the uh, wavelengths. But uh, at the same time, from my own personal experience, I think the traditional sauna just it uh, gets your heart rate higher and it probably has like a better like endurance effect, so to say, because your heart is pounding faster and mimics more like a cardiovascular uh, exercise workout. So I, I use both. I think maybe taking a traditional sauna every day is also not a good idea because then your body just gets so used to it that it's, gonna not, it's not going to be as effective. So I, I like to cycle between the traditional sauna and infrared sauna. So I do use the sauna almost basically every day maybe like six times a week but i use the traditional sauna maybe two to three times a week and uh, the traditional sauna for the other days reading stronger by stress it was the first time i really saw a really nice overview of the two and how to properly use them and you definitely emphasize that with you know the sauna it's not a case where more is not always better <laughs> like you could, and i think that's like a, a ongoing theme obviously throughout the book that more is not always better. It's all, like you said, about balance and how you respond to these things. So going back to the initial, the topic of stress, one of the first things that you talk about in the book is general adaptation syndrome and the theories surrounding that. It was the first time I had heard of it, like this idea that, which has been debated since then, but this idea that we only have a certain amount of adaptation energy to deal with stressors. And I guess when it was originally posited, the idea was, when we run out of adaptation energy, we die, which is really upsetting. But yeah, would you like to talk a little bit about that? This idea or like the overall stress science was kind of pioneered by this Hungarian researcher, Hans Selye. He came up with the general adaptation syndrome 
which is this concept that describes like the stress response. So it has like three phases, the alarm stage where the body is going to activate the sympathetic nervous system and it's going to go into this, you know, stressed out state. The second stage is the resistance stage where the body is just, uh, you know, fighting the stress or whatever it's dealing with. And the last stage is uh, exhaustion. So the exhaustion stage can be concluded by either complete exhaustion, which would basically mean that, you know, the body's own resources have been depleted and it is unable to like maintain normal functioning. So it's maybe the kind of example would be going into like a coma or uh, passing out or something. And the exhaustion stage can also end in recovery, which is, you know, the body manages to successfully overcome the stressor or or the stressor itself goes away or is eliminated. So uh, yeah, it's it's this uh, three stage process that tends to happen. And Selle also kind of hypothesized that this resistance to stress is finite and it's expandable. So he called this adaptation energy. It's basically this currency that enables the organism to endure any kinds of stressor. And he figured that this resource adaptation energy is finite. So we have a certain amount of adaptation energy uh, given to us at birth and uh, we can't like recover or we can't rebuild it. And every other stressor is just uh, constantly exhausting this adaptation energy and once this adaptation energy runs out we like either get some sort of stress-related disease or we die (laughs) so so that's not really like it doesn't sound like a positive thing but other researchers since Celia have kind of proposed that adaptation energy can be restored to a certain extent as long as we have like enough time for recovery part of the reason why Celia thought adaptation wasn't able adaptation energy wasn't being able to recover was to do with like he was doing like a lot of research on these uh, mice and he was constantly like putting them under these extreme stressors like cold, heat, starvation and uh, high amounts of exercise and those things. So it's basically like describing some aspects of uh, this overtraining and high amounts of stressed out lifestyles that some people uh, may experience. So that's, of course, if you are constantly being stressed out in chronic stress, then you will burn out and you don't uh, have enough time to recover. But if you do recover from it, you take time away from work, you take time away from exercise, then your body actually regains some of that adaptation energy. And you can just experience the same stressor again in the future with more vigor, so to say. So you don't necessarily have to be afraid that every time you you get stressed out, that is going to shorten your lifespan or something. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. 
I seriously had the time of my life last year and I would love to hang out with you guys and you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohacking conference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohacking conference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Hi friends. I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me. Oh my goodness, friends. I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it and it lasts for 14 hours and it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And the 
look pretty awesome with my outfits, not gonna lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you wanna boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying, you need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm gonna use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. You talk about response to stress is good or bad, determined by their experience, their expectations, and their resources. So basically that influences how the stress affects them. So out of those, I think about this quite often between like, okay, because experience and expectations, that's mental versus resources, which is physical. Do you think out of those, one is more mental versus physical, like ability to deal with stress? Is one likely more important? Like, do you think if a person could just flip a switch and reframe stress and make their experience and their expectations, make them feel completely capable, even if physically they're not compared to on the flip side, somebody who might be physically capable, but their experience and expectations are just not in their favor. What do you think is more powerful in how we respond to stress? Yeah, I think it's a really important point, so to say. So you can really change the stress response with your thoughts almost by reframing it or uh, yeah like just having a certain different perspective on it so for example like you can you can be in a sauna and you can enjoy it and like the temperatures are really high your body is experiencing stress but you're enjoying it and it doesn't lead to this sort of a chronic stress response and it's not going to be inherently harmful versus if you are let's say in the desert the temperatures may not be even that high, but you can still, you know, freak out because of like uh, the situation is very dire, or you feel as if you're about to lose control or something, and that's where you may experience more higher like the stress hormones like cortisol and glucocorticoids, just because your psychology is changing the perspective of the stress, and thus your physiology also changes in response to that. So I do think that the body or, or like your uh, psychology can override some aspects of your uh, physiology. But only to like a certain extent, you can you can like really you can really enjoy something uh, that is uh, stressful, but it, it but it can still eventually be stressful if you overdo it. 
So maybe like uh, the, the psychology can alleviate some of the negative side effects from a particular stress response, but it's not going to completely override it. So, but at the same time, like if you don't have your psychology on point, so to say, so that you you have to kind of acknowledge to yourself that this stress can be like good for you if you like realize it or if you acknowledge it. So that's why I think it's very important to just have like this sort of a somewhat of a positive mindset about it, uh, or at least not let yourself lose your self-control, so to say, of constantly acknowledging to yourself uh, that what are the benefits and uh, that it's not inherently harmful and that it's actually beneficial. I think it's so huge. And I think I just think about it all the time. I'm wondering like what is more more powerful. And I did love that example that you gave about the sauna. Cause I, I like I said, I do the sauna every day and I had never thought about it that way. Like, cause when I'm laying in it, I it just feels really wonderful to me. And I'm like, wow, if I thought about this as me like dying in the desert, it would probably be a completely different experience. Even like during the summer heat, like the temperatures aren't as hot as in a sauna. People still like hate it or they have like negative negative emotions about it. But once you go in the sauna, once you go in a sauna, it's actually completely different. Yeah, I'm completely paraphrasing, but you said something in the book about how also like, I think without, about anxiety or stress that, you know, we can be sitting in a room and be like completely fine, like nothing is happening and we can be panicking, like completely freaking out and nothing's happening, which just really makes you reframe everything. So another thing that you touch on a lot is the concept of toxicity and, you know, it all goes in with stress, you know, things that might be potentially toxic to our body. So I had a huge epiphany because you talk in the book about the different models for evaluating stress, the linear threshold model, which was where something becomes increasingly more toxic after a certain threshold. So that was like alcohol or drugs, the linear no threshold model, which was any dose above zero is hazardous. The threshold model, which was where below a certain point, there's no risk and above another point, there's risk increases. And then the hormesis model, which you talk about all throughout the book, which is hormetic, the hormetic idea that, you know, at certain doses, it could be a good thing, but at higher doses, it might not be. And I know that was a lot of information for listeners, but the reason I'm bringing it up is because I am ongoingly haunted by the carnivore (laughs) versus plant debate. And reading about the different models, I was like, oh, I feel like a lot of people in the carnivore worlds who look at plants and say all plants are toxic, that they are applying the, like the, I guess the linear no threshold model. So it's like any dose is toxic, whereas it could be potentially the hormesis model where, you know, at certain doses it might be toxic and at certain doses it might not be in I had Paul Saldino recently on the podcast. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but I mentioned this book. I was like, I was reading Seam's book and I just feel like we're just looking at this maybe differently. So models for evaluating stress, like, okay, well, since we're talking about food, so plants, animals, supplements, dietary compounds, can anything potentially be healthy or anything potentially be toxic? Are there exceptions? How do you feel about the, the carnivore plant debate? What are your thoughts on all of that? The entire like field of hormesis was very founded upon this idea behind xenohormesis, which is uh, how certain plant compounds can be beneficial or they can stimulate a certain like a hormetic response in the body. It is like very well researched. Yeah, there are like different plant compounds that seem to turn turn on the, some similar uh, pathways in the body as like exercise or fasting or calorie restriction does. The reason they work is because they contain some of these slightly toxic compounds that the body just responds to. 
you know, usually the old, of course, there is a, like the poison is in anything that in excess and in a large dose can be uh, harmful. The same can be exercise. Like if you do too much exercise, then it's going to have negative side effects and it's going to be harmful. The same applies to these xenohermetic compounds. And usually if people do experience see negative side effects from it, then it's usually just because of overconsumption or like taking the synthetic supplements that already have these concentrated large amounts of these compounds in them. So like it's very hard to actually reach like a dangerous you know, point by eating just regular vegetables. So you would have to be eating uh, several kilograms uh, of uh, vegetables. And uh, yeah, like some, some studies where people like have died to eating bok choy or some cabbage or raw, raw like Brussels sprouts or something, <laughs> then those studies or, th- or these cases happen only yeah, like if people eat like several kilograms uh, at a time and they're already uh, diabetic at the same time and they already have like some neuropathy or so. So they aren't like necessarily healthy people either. But, uh, you know, I do personally think that you don't need the xenohormetic response from plants if you are already doing like saunas and exercise and fasting and colds and all those things, because those things are by far more powerful of stimulus to these pathways. And the benefits are also somewhat better. The problem is also that you can't really exercise 24 hours a day or you can't take the cold bath every day or you can't take a sauna every day. So that's where I find uh, these plant compounds can be really effective for stimulating the same hormetic response or like a similar hormetic response in a smaller fashion with less like effort in a way. And also like one of the like arguments would be that, you know, there, there is still some hormetic effect from consuming those things. So for example, let's say like caffeine or coffee, if you're never used to drinking coffee, you're very sensitive to it. So you're like, even like one cup of coffee is going to maybe give you like an anxiety attack because you're, you're not really used to caffeine and, you know, you're going to overstimulate yourself. So you're like, your threshold for caffeine is very low compared to someone that is, you know, drinking maybe five cups of coffee a day. <laughs> then for them, the threshold is much higher. So for them, they maybe have to drink like seven cups of coffee a day to experience any, <laughs> any of the negative side effects. Which, which isn't like a good thing. It's not a good thing to have that uh, high level of sen- like a tolerance. But at the same time, it does illustrate an aspect of stress adaptation, so to say. So your body is able to tolerate a specific toxin, so to say, which in this case is caffeine. So, you know, you could argue that it's not inherently necessary to be able to handle caffeine, but you can't argue that there is a hormetic stress adaptation that is involved there because uh, there is like people people can some, some some people who drink alcohol a lot they can probably handle like i don't know 12 beers without passing out versus someone who who isn't who isn't uh, drinking alcohol at all then they're gonna get like drunk even drinking from just one glass of wine so there are different people different levels of uh, alcohol tolerance and different levels of stress adaptation as well it's not it's not a positive thing to be able to tolerate like 12 cans of beer but <laughs> it's still an example of like a stress adaptation which isn't like hormesis itself doesn't have to be always positive so hormesis doesn't have to always have like a health benefit hormesis just like the health benefits are some often like the side effect but hormesis is also 
it's, it describes just like a tolerance and kind of resilience against a particular stressor because like radiation, radiation from like nuclear radiation that can also have a hormetic response. Like I wouldn't recommend anyone to, you know, do it or engaged in actually radiating themselves or something, but there is still a small hormetic response that the body is able to tolerate radiation much better. The negative side effects from future radiation exposure would also be, would also be lower. So someone who's maybe habitually used to maybe consuming these plant compounds on a regular basis, then they would also experience less negative side effects from them compared to, let's say, that because that's also one of the biggest downsides of the carnivore diet, in my opinion, that if you are always like avoiding these potentially toxic foods, then you're also just pushing yourself into a corner, so to say. So you're not making it easier for you to handle them in the future. You're only making it harder. And, you know, if you if you are willing to just not eat any of the plant foods in your life ever again, then like that's fine by me. There are many like long-term studies to see what like what happens, but uh, at the same time, like uh, I just personally find more flexibility and freedom in being in being able to you know handle them and tolerate them better. Also, in the plant world, antioxidants. How do you feel about antioxidants in whole form from you know fruit and vegetables versus supplemental? My two like tangent questions from that are the studies seem to show that maybe the antioxidants from foods aren't quite doing as much as we think they are. And then on the flip side, there might potentially be an issue to antioxidant supplementation by discouraging our own, you know, antioxidant system. I'm haunted by this because <laughs> I have some medication that I take like low-dose naltrexone compounded with vitamin C and I take it while fasted. And I, every time I take it, I'm like, am I shutting off my <laughs> antioxidant system right now? What do you think about antioxidants? There is like some reason to think that uh, like high dose antioxidants could be maladaptive, so to say, by just suppressing the body's own antioxidants. And like, you don't want to be completely zero inflammation and without any free radicals, because those things are very beneficial signaling molecules to many beneficial processes in the body like autophagy as well as glutathione and just overall like the adaptation you get from exercise are also mediated by some of the inflammation and uh, reactive oxygen species so you don't want to be completely avoiding those things but you know too much of it too much inflammation and too much reactive oxygen species is still uh, harmful so it depends on like i wouldn't be worried about the antioxidants from food because that can actually be somewhat beneficial because the like the amounts of uh, antioxidants in uh, vegetables or fruit isn't that high. And it's, it's not high enough to like uh, suppress some of the benefits you may get from exercise. But if you take like high dose vitamin C or something, then that can be harmful. Like how much is too much? That can also depend on like your overall like level of stress and inflammation in general. So if you're, let's say, a very, very inflamed person and you have like a bunch of stress, then taking the antioxidants might be beneficial as a way to you know curb that inflammation and stress but if you're like already healthy pretty healthy person then you don't need to take high amounts of antioxidants either if you if, you, if your supplement has some vitamin c in it then i wouldn't really be worried about it either because you know it's probably going to be metabolized uh, within like minutes and uh, it's, it's going to body the bodies can all, already like flip back into some autophagy afterwards as well okay i'll stop stressing about it no pun intended <laughs> One other thing you touched on just a second ago, you were talking about like the hormetic, like radiation and hormesis. You do talk about EMFs in the book. What are your thoughts on EMFs? Should we be scared of EMFs? 
Are we adapted to them? What should we do about all of that? There's not like much we can do about it in a way that, you know, the governments and companies and cities are still going to implement more of these 5G towers and EMF. So like, I think a lot of people like want it as well, because we like people want to have faster internet and whatnot. You can't really or you could go and live in a cabin, but that, that's not like a really <laughs> functional way of uh, being a part of modern society. So, you know, the only way that you can you know, mitigate it is to try to build up a certain level of tolerance to it. And I think there is proof or there is like reasons to think that it is possible. So like even like you take a hunter gatherer from the wild and you put them in, in a big city, so they would probably be very sensitive towards EMF and they would feel all the negative side effects like headaches and whatnot versus people who are living there every day then they don't notice anything almost or they've like they've gotten so used to it that they don't notice it so i do think that there is some aspect of like adaptation that it can occur but the, the kind of critical part to this has to do with that you need some time or for recovery so if you're never like uh, getting a downtime from the emf then that's where the issues can start to uh, arise from so what emf does is that is just activates these calcium channels in the cells that kind of start to leach this very toxic and like this very inflammatory like a compound peroxynitrate which causes a lot of oxidative stress and it is involved with like uh, atherosclerosis and heart disease and cancer but again like uh, it's it's like a matter of the dose so if you're like living next to a cell tower all the time and you are let's say using wireless earbuds you're sleeping with your phone underneath your pillow you're constantly surrounded by technology and you're never like unexposed or you never get a downtime from it and that's where like the problems that may start to rise but uh, you know you if you let's say take time to like turn off the wi-fi you go outside nature without your technology you also sleep in a low emf environment then i think that's where your body is able to build up some tolerance and uh, resilience to it so i think like the most important thing is to just make sure that your sleep or your bedroom as low emf as possible so you know turn off the wi-fi put your phone on airplane mode yeah like you can also use like these uh, grounding mats that you can uh, use in your bed those are pretty good and yeah like just making sure that you don't be in this constantly high emf environment i think the emfs are so huge because well we can't see them so you know unless you're taking them quote seriously it can be easy to just think they're not a big deal but then at the same time it's hard to know like what you're doing, like how much is it actually doing and what is quote, you know, worth it. But I know for me, like I personally, I hardwired my internet. So like, this is all hardwired. I have the grounding mats. I turned off at night. I even have an EMF canopy. Have you had one of those by the way? Well, I've uh, I've used it, but I don't have it in my home. Okay. Well, I was using it, but then I was reading that like, unless it's like perfectly set up it could actually maybe make things worse and then i was like i give up <laughs> i was like i'm just just gonna ignore it but yeah so so many things there so another question one thing that you actually before that we talked about this on the last show i believe but nad levels which you talk about a lot in the book and could you tell listeners a little bit about the difference between the balance between nad and nadh because i find it really fascinating NAD is nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, and NADH is the reduced form of NAD. 
And, uh, you know, both of them are being used for like almost all, all physiological processes, especially like energy production. And uh, they're involved in the Krebs cycle where your body is using energy. And usually NAD is uh, associated with like catabolic states. So when you're creating energy from something, whether that be like exercise, you're breaking down food molecules into, into uh, energy, ATP, and uh, like fasting and all other things can also increase NAD, whereas uh, NADH is more of uh, associated with uh, like anabolism, where um, you're building, you're creating things, and that, that can happen when you're like eating, so to say, or you've converted some of the, or you recycle some of the NAD into NADH, so the, both of them are being constantly recycled in the body. Usually the um, higher NAD to NADH ratio is a uh, is somewhat better, so to say, so that your body isn't experiencing overabundance or overnourishment, and it's you know more towards these catabolic processes where energy is being recycled, so to say. And what role does NAD and NADH play in our stress response, like, or our you know our resiliency and our ability to deal with life? You actually said something in the book about how potentially a lot of the effects that we feel from COVID have to do with how it does affect our NAD levels. And I know for me, like I had surgery like a few weeks ago to fix my deviated septum for breathing, which is something else you talk about in the book that really like wiped me out pretty bad. And I had been supplementing in an NMN and NR to support NAD levels, but I, I had stopped. And then when I got the surgery, it was so upsetting. I couldn't do anything that I normally do. Like I, I couldn't do sauna. I couldn't do cold therapy. I couldn't, I couldn't pick up anything heavier than an iPad, which was like very upsetting for obviously muscle growth and muscle support and exercise. And I was like, what can I do? And I was like, well, I can start taking NR and NMN again. I could have been placebo, but when I started taking it, I started feeling rapidly better. And now I'm like, think I'm not going to stop taking it again. I'm going to keep it in. That was a lot of like, especially for listeners who aren't familiar with NAD, but what is NAD? How does it affect our, our resiliency and our you know ability to deal with life? And what do you think about supplementing NR or NMN to support it? NAD is involved with uh, the immune system as well. And it regulates many of the immune cells like cytokines and monocytes and whatnot. You know, you use NAD to battle infections, but at the same time, like the let's say viruses or pathogens can also steal the NAD and they can use it for themselves. So there's always like this tug of war happening, depending on like your other aspects of your immune system, like which one wins or which side wins depends on, yeah, like, like NAD can be very useful if you're like, if your NAD levels are high and you get infected, then probably your chances of getting like severely ill is uh, lower because your body has sufficient amounts of NAD to kind of give uh, resources to the immune system to battle the infection. Whereas if you get sick with low levels of NAD or you get infected with low levels of NAD, then your chances of getting severely sick is also higher because the immune cells don't have enough resources and the viral particles take over and spread. That's one like good thing to remember, so to say, that if you, let's say, are in, a, in an environment with high risk of uh, infection, then making sure that you are you know, optimized in terms of your energy production is a pretty good. So like doing, again, these beneficial hormetic stressors and getting some time-restricted eating and fasting. And, you know, you get NAD primarily, like the most, like almost like 90% of NAD is being uh, recycled. So to say only 10% comes from your dietary sources. So that's why 
the, the recycling is primarily done by like exercise and uh, fasting and uh, these other hormetic uh, stressors. So uh, that's why implementing them is a much like a better strategy than getting it from your food or trying to get it from your food. But the supplements kind of tend to can uh, sidestep that. So the supplements, nicotinamide riboside or NMN, they can kind of, you can get a boost in NAD. So I, I would imagine that can be really um, beneficial for, let's say, if you have like immunocompromised states or you're older or you have like some of these comorbidities. So definitely NAD would be something that I personally would use. And yeah, like it's, it's really beneficial for that. Hi, friends. Okay, so I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near-infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near-infrared for so long. And at the same time, during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near-infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution. And guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, it was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus, or SCN, in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet. Because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time, that's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near-infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful 
for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an ear infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right. I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands. And it is so incredibly easy. It's called melanieavalonscloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order. So you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to melanieavalonscloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. 
I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment and they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon, or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off and that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, Two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Okay, awesome. Sleep. So you talk a lot about sleep. And listeners, by the way, I've just got to say again, get the book because there's so much stuff in there. We can't even remotely touch on all of it. But sleep. You talk a lot about circadian rhythms and you know how to best support your sleep. Is sleep something where there is a hormetic potential or where you can, like, should you try to hack your sleep? Should you try to get potentially less sleep? Oh, and also you said that you, you tried polyphasic sleep. I'm dying to know what that was like. So sleep. Yeah. Well, sleep is probably the most important thing for hormesis or like one of the most important things because that's where your body is basically recovering from it from the stress and adapting to the stress as well so that's where if you're like doing a bunch of exercise and uh, fasting and saunas but your sleep is bad then you're probably missing out on a lot of the benefits and potentially you can reach this uh, chronic stress faster because uh, you're not recovered but in terms of does is there like any potential hormetic benefit from short sleep then Yes, to a certain extent. So, like in uh, like studies, sleep restriction and sleep deprivation have been used for like uh, depression and something of like that. But you know, it's something that I wouldn't recommend for uh, people to deliberately do because, like, in this kind of modern world, we're already naturally going to experience some sleep deprivation eventually. So, like, whether that be because of traveling, whether that be because of like uh, loudy, loud, loudy neighbors, or <laughs> so uh, it's 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 a matter. It's, you can't really, you shouldn't do it deliberately. But at the same time, I do feel that if you are, let's say, used to some aspects of sleep deprivation, then you you can also like mitigate some of the negative side effects from that. Uh, especially in terms of like cognition if you're like because it's also like a very fragile position to be in if you need to sleep like eight to nine hours every night in order to function properly you're leaving yourself vulnerable to like all this potential random chaos that may happen in the world because uh, yeah like the book and the aspect the concept of hormesis isn't necessarily only about like being healthy all the time and being optimal health optimally healthy it's also about just dealing with the unavoidable stressors of life and coming out of them you know, intact and coming out of them with uh, higher functionality, so to say, so that you wouldn't be 
you know, wiped out by random stress and chaos. In terms of the polyphasic sleep, then that's something that can be like a strategy for causing some aspects of hormetic, like stress hormes, uh, like sleep hormesis. So polyphasic sleeping is where you're like sleeping in several chunks throughout the entire day. So you don't sleep uh, eight hours per night. You sleep maybe four hours a night and you have like several naps spread throughout the entire uh, day. So you do get like a slightly shorter total sleep time, but you should be able to get like all these sufficient amount of like REM cycles for a day. I personally did it for uh, about like a hundred days a few years ago. I slept maybe like uh, three hours a night and I had like three 20 minute naps during the daytime. So I got maybe like four or four and a half hours of sleep per day. So I did not, it was like pretty, you know, hard and it was like requires a lot of just, you have to kind of commit to it in order to make it work or you to get out of it. But uh, yeah, like I just stopped it because I, I think it's in the long term, it's going to be pretty, you know, damaging for your health. Yeah, I, I did it. I did it for just experiment but yeah like after a while you get used to it but like your physical performance tends to suffer quite a lot because you're like if you are like you know going to the gym on a regular basis then uh, you you do need uh, quite a lot of more sleep so fascinating yeah i had a friend who tried it and he said it was crazy because like it was like not very practical at all because when it came time to sleep, it was like you had to sleep like at that moment. So like like nothing else could happen. And he was like, it just didn't work. <laughs> like, well, it's crazy. Yeah, you, you you would need to like be very flexible with your schedule, so to say. Oh man, that's crazy. Okay, wait, another S word, stoicism. Going back to the mindset and everything, you talk about stoicism and the idea of a hedonic set point in our lives and how we, you know, how we look at our experiences as far as pleasure and pain and how we can reframe that. So what's the whole concept there? How can we practically implement stoic ideas into our lives to help us deal with stress? It uh, is very related to the psychology that we talked about. And just in my opinion, stoicism is just this philosophy that can help you to deal with the unpredictable nature of the world and also condition yourself to handle, let's say, physical stress as well as psychological stress uh, better by just uh, acknowledging to yourself that it can be a positive thing <laughs> and uh, that you can't really avoid like the um, unexpected events. You can only control your own response to them. So stoicism can be practiced in many ways. Like you can do intermittent fasting as a form of stoicism. Again, like maybe sleep deprive yourself or something you can also like sleep on the floor but the, the, yeah like the main idea or, or like one of the main ideas is to not become like attached to the kind of comforts of the world and something that you like everyone has maybe some things they are more attached to than others uh, maybe some people are i don't know attached to uh, food some people are attached to uh, central heating <laughs> some people are attached to socializing some people are attached to i don't know some maybe music or something so like everyone has their own attachments but you you shouldn't be like completely dependent of them like if you're very dependent of uh, food then intermittent fasting or like random starvation can be really stressful for you so uh, in order to prevent that or avoid it then you would want to uh, regularly habituate yourself from not being attached to the particular thing that you're attached to so in the form of food then you would you would do fasting on a regular basis in the form of maybe like a central heating in order to not 
freak out when the power goes out, then you would want to do cold exposure on a regular basis. And uh, or, or like if you're very attached to just maybe, I don't know, entertainment, then uh, you detach yourself or you distance yourself from the entertainment every once in a while as to not become like dependent. You want your happiness to be dependent of these uh, external things, whether that be food, entertainment, music, you know, comfort, other people, whatnot. So you would always want to be able to be happy and fulfilled without them just by, you know, finding this sort of inner peace uh, from yourself and uh, not having any like addictions, basically. To that point, because people might hear that and think, oh, so like minimalism, you know, like get rid of all attachments. But you pointed out that it's not necessarily minimalism because in a way, and this is a word that we haven't used yet, but it's a word that you use throughout the book. And there's this idea of anti-fragility being anti-fragile. And you were talking about how with minimalism, and I'm not putting down minimalism, like I'm all for it if that's what you want to do. But, you know, in a way that could potentially be fragile because you need this state of not having any attachments to anything compared to, you know, fluctuating between attachments, but not having attachment to the attachments that you have. (laughs) I don't know. Minimalism is like a philosophy or a lifestyle, but it's also like a form of self-identity. So if people identify themselves as minimalists, they want to live up to that expectation and therefore they, you know, try to live uh, as minimalistically as possible. So, but the problem is that if they don't, let's say, uh, meet that expectation or like they're forced to give up their minimalistic lifestyle, then they may experience like this inner conflict or like turmoil or suffering because like, God damn it, I'm not in- minimalist enough or some- something like that, which is self-defeating and is- it shouldn't be like the purpose. Whereas a stoic approach would be that I may have all like all the riches in the world, but I don't care. Like I would be able to be happy even uh, without them. Like one of the most famous uh, Stoic philosophers, the Seneca, was like the uh, richest banker in Rome, and he was like the one of the richest men in the world. But he still like practiced this like deliberate poverty. So this is like a few days of the month. He would you know basically dress like like a beggar, and he would eat only like the things that he could find. He uh, would uh, no not use any of his riches and yeah like he would try to live this sort of like a bigger uh, lifestyle very poverty which was uh, the purpose was that was just to not make his uh, riches the foundation to his happiness so he wanted to uh, remind himself uh, how fortunate he is and also just to kind of toughen himself up for the times that where those riches may be taken away so that's why yeah like a minimalistic lifestyle may not necessarily be the solution to this peace of mind whereas you know, a stoic can be rich and a stoic can be poor. It doesn't really matter because uh, for them, the concept of happiness is more of uh, linked to the person and like their personal character and integrity and uh, like their moral uh, values and uh, virtues, not any external thing. So with 2020 and everything that's going on, so like what might that mentality look like, like reframing our world and current events? What would that look like? Like one of the... The biggest things I think is that to kind of acknowledge, realize that it's not that bad <laughs> or like, of course, a lot of people have died and, you know, the economies uh, crashed uh, and, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs and uh, whatnot, but it's not like the end of the world. It could have been a lot worse. And it, this is almost like a, like a practice drill for future events that are probably going to be much worse than this one. Like uh, it's relatively... It's not, it's not the Black Death uh, or it's not World War II. So there have been much worse events in, in the past. 
And I think it, it can be like a really good like a practice drill or like a reminder for like all countries of the world that there are potential pandemics, there are potential other disasters like volcanoes, hurricanes, uh, maybe uh, like asteroids and uh, war. So we shouldn't take our current like modern lifestyle for granted because uh, like a lot of people may just have the misconception that everything is supposed to be safe and everything is supposed to be certain and predictable. So like you have your paycheck, you have your... Uh, your central heating, you have your electricity, you have your internet, all those things. But uh, they're actually very deviant in uh, like the actual world or reality. Like humans, we have just created this society that is very, yeah, it's very fragile, but it's also like a very living almost in a bubble. So we don't really realize how unnormal <laughs> it is for, you know, what, what we have. It's very unnormal for humans to have access to all these resources and uh, things or activities. Uh, so yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't forget about it. So, and it's a good, like a good reminder to kind of keep ourselves healthy, uh, keep our kind of stress adaptation high, and keep our like lifestyle more flexible, so we wouldn't be so easily uh, wiped out by whatever kind of a random event. So powerful. I love that so much. Listeners, I keep saying this, but definitely get the book because there's so much in it that we haven't even remotely touched on. Just a few last quick questions. So. All of these tools that you discuss all throughout the book, you know, diet, lifestyle practices, cold, sauna, exercise, so many things we didn't even touch on. How can or how should one implement this practically in their daily life? Like, do we need to be doing all of these things every day? Some of these things, some days, like you talk in your book, it was actually, it's really enlightening. You have like a section on blocks where you talk about the different blocks for like, you know, sleep, exercise, work, learning, social media, sex, rest, so many different things. So what does it look like practically for a person wanting to implement these practices? Yeah. Well, I, I think there are some things that like everyone should do every day, like uh, getting a good night's sleep, <laughs> uh, getting exposed to like sunlight, daylight, and of course, like some exercise or getting some form of uh, like some some sweating is good to do every day to just uh, promote the detoxification system and uh, cardiovascular health. So that that can be like exercise, cardio, resistance training, or that can also be the sauna or yoga. Something anything can can make you sweat is a good thing for the lymphatic system. I also think it's uh, you know important to do something where you uh, you know work or like you follow some sort of a you know passion or a purpose some mastery some productivity aspects or learning like it's like it's a good idea to go to bed smarter than you woke up so you learn everything something every day and of course like rest and reflection are also important so that you like i i, I like to you know look at it like striking be between exertion and recovery so you exert yourself you put yourself under stress uh, whether that be like a mental stress or physical stress but then you also uh, recover from it you reflect and uh, you kind of uh, adapt so that's where the adaptation occurs as well so like on a daily basis it can depend a lot on your just your daily routine and uh, what your conditions are but yeah some form of exercise some form of maybe time skid eating is also good implementing it into like um, this uh, active lifestyle where you're uh, cycling between exertion and uh, recovery you pretty much blew my mind because you even talk about like social media blocks you and i both are very heavy in the social media world. And you said that you only do it how much every day? It was not much. 
well, I, I usually like in total, that would be maybe 30 minutes or an hour in total where I do all the posts and I engaged with uh, the comments and whatnot. But so I'm not like uh, on Instagram uh, on a, all the time. So I, I try to block it or um, use it only in certain times. Like if I'm uh, maybe taking a break from work or if I'm like, uh, yeah, just you know, before taking a nap or something, that, that's when I usually do the social media. So I'm not, I'm not using the social media, for, for example, if I'm like working or trying to write or uh, if I'm exercising. That was really inspiring to me because I have a big Facebook group and I'm often like in it, (laughs) checking it, you know, constantly. And I was like, I should do this in blocks. Like that makes so much more sense. Like go in, do all the things and then, you know, have these other blocks for other things. Awesome. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on that we didn't? I mean, there's so many things, but anything else you'd like to throw out there? No, I think uh, we did cover it uh, pretty well. You know, stress can be harmful, but it can also be beneficial. Depends on, yeah, like what's your mindset about it and how well are you like recovering from it? Exactly. So the last question that I ask every guest on this podcast, and just because I've realized, like we talked about, how important mindset is surrounding everything. So you might remember this from last time, but what is something that you're grateful for? Well, maybe currently... When we're talking about the pan- like 2020 and uh, the global events, then uh, probably just living in in the countryside, so uh, I didn't have to sit in a, like a large building or an apartment. So I was able to just you know go outside every day, uh, take uh, walks. We also you know grow our foods, and uh, yeah, we don't basically have any neighbors uh, as well nearby. So yeah, like I was pretty untouched by the lockdowns and that one. So that kind of reminded me that it's one of the most very, very like a precious or valuable thing uh, to have yeah it definitely made me not want to move to a big city anytime soon <laughs> like me that's incredible well this has been absolutely wonderful i like i said i could talk to you for hours and hours and hours but listeners just get the book there's so much information in there i think you'll find it so valuable how can people best follow your work my website is seamlund.com i'm seamlund on the old the all the social media platforms and the book is a stronger by stress on Amazon. Awesome. And are you currently writing your next book? Yeah, well, I actually am. I'm um, co-authoring with someone and uh, yeah, I'm not going to tell the details yet, but it's a, uh, it's a, it's a somewhat related to uh, the previous ones, uh, but it uh, focuses more, more of on like one single aspect of uh, health. That's very exciting. I'm excited. Well, <laughs> not really excited. Man, that's a big teaser. Well, we'll definitely, hopefully, have to bring you back when that happens. Sounds good. All right. Well, I will talk to you later. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely amazing. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine lose weight and feel great with paleo style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine, as well as my blog, melanieavalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at melanieavalon.com. And always remember, you got this.